If you were an engineer, what would you do? I'm Ollie Giu, and this is a primary engineer podcast. Our mission is to celebrate engineering in all its forms, and what better place to find inspiration than in the minds of children? Okay, so my engineering idea is that there's a bug detector. So on the back of the bug detector, behind the screen, there's going to be a thermal camera, and whenever the thermal camera picks up something hot, like heat, like the warm-blooded of the uh, insect, then it beeps, so then you know there's a bug nearby. And once you've detected your bug, Katie has an ingenious way of protecting them. I think we should build homes for the wildlife so they can be safe from predators. This inspired me as people and I have seen multiple dead animals on the road on the way to work or school. For many years, we've been asking children to come up with engineering projects of their own. No limits, no barriers, and the results have been incredible. Every year, our competition involves tens of thousands of pupils, and the best entries are turned into real, functioning prototypes by university teams. This episode is a bit of a proto-team takeover. That's because these guys... Hi everybody, I'm uh, Malcolm Klaus. Hi everyone, I'm Sean Wogan. Well, they've got a lot to tell us about because they've been involved in so many prototypes. We'll hear from Malcolm and Sean shortly. But first, I have an amazing engineer to introduce you to. Hi, I'm Oliver Joris. It's the Battle of the Ollies. Uh, I hope it doesn't get too confusing. Um, Ollie is a senior calibration engineer at Ford Motor Company, and he's basically um, making sure that Ford's cars do what they're meant to, and making sure the engines are up to scratch. And I started by asking whether engineering has been in his blood ever since he was young. I was uh, very fortunate to grow up with a very, very hands-on family. My, my grandfather and my uncle had a garage. Uh, they were mechanics, had a garage in the garden. So as a child, I watched them not just repair cars, but also lovingly restore uh, classic cars. And I think that instilled in me, uh, you know, this sort of this sort of passion for cars in general, but but also the way the way that they work. And I, I'd started as, as every child does with uh, with Lego, which I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, and then sort of worked my way up to playing with bicycles. Um, and I think that was my first experience at sort of nuts and bolts and spanners. Um, and then worked my way up to my first car that was a, uh, a classic Mini. Uh, you test vehicles in all sorts of different places and landscapes. Um... Tell us first a little bit about what it's like testing vehicles in the Arctic Circle. Essentially, um, as I'm sure a lot of the listeners are aware, your your car, very high level, will suck in air and it will throw some fuel in with it and then it will compress it uh, and explode it and then it harnesses the energy that comes from that and, and, and turns it into driving power. What you'll find as you go around the world is that that air that comes in is at different pressures and different temperatures depending on where you are. And as you might be aware of athletes who go training, running up and down mountains, when they when they run high up, there's there's less oxygen in the air and, and that makes it more difficult. So a lot of them will do training down there and then they'll be you know more powerful down at sea level. It's similar with cars. As you go up in altitude or, or in, in height, it becomes more and more difficult for the engine to breathe and it becomes more and more difficult to produce power. But of course, we need to make sure that our vehicles deliver the power that our customers expect everywhere on the planet, uh, because all of our programs uh, are sold everywhere. And so we need to make sure that when our customers buy our cars and, and go up into a mountain, it's all working as it should be. Also, 
when they go to start that car at minus 30 in the Arctic Circle, that car needs to start and it needs to run and it needs to defrost the windscreen in a way that you'd expect it to do it in Somerset. <laughs> I bet that old um, Mini that you worked on when you were a kid wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that would... Uh, well, from, from what I've heard, the way to do it uh, and the way that the truckers do it is to start a small fire under the engine and wait till the <laughs> till the oil's warm up. But I, I do not, I do not recommend that under any circumstances. Yeah, don't don't try this one at home. <laughs> do not try that at home. <laughs> no, so there are there are means and ways for engineers to get cars started in those in those areas. But uh, yeah, these days people prefer to just turn a key in for it to start. Yeah, that's my preferred method usually. <laughs> um, and so you obviously take the cars to the desert. You take them up mountains. You take them uh, to sea level. I mean, you you must have visited some phenomenal places. <laughs> <laughs> I have, yes, and um, I can't promote, you know, doing a job that that you love enough. There have been a few moments where I've had to pinch myself doing particular testing, flying along the snow in a in, in a prototype vehicle whilst recording data and and doing a bit of coding and bits and pieces out in the Arctic Circle. That you, you do have to pinch yourself. What what sort of sights have you seen? Anything particularly breathtaking or particularly memorable? Arguably one of the most memorable was um, during some of our work in Finland. Uh, we'd, had, we'd had a lovely day recording, recording data, blasting along the snow, and then had some dinner. And then uh, in the evening as we got out, we looked up and we saw the aurora borealis, and that was breathtaking. Day to day, do you, obviously you're not travelling all the time. Would you say that your job is varied and it's something different to be done every single day? Absolutely. Um, what's wonderful about the place that I work is that it's a large enough community for you to be able to do lots of different things. Um, there's, there's no real, there's no excuse for getting bored where we work. You know, one of the facilities we have is an environmental test chamber. So we have a room the size of, you know, your average house that will have a, a car or van strapped to a rolling road with a big, big hole in the wall in front of it that's got air rushing through it um, at, at whatever speed you want, and then can go up mountains, down mountains in terms of pressure variation, and can go, you know, down to minus 30 and up to plus 40 with sun loading. So you've got this, you've got this odd room, you know, at your work where you can emulate any condition around the world that you'd like. <laughs> so, yeah. well, you know, that that's incredible. And then we have tracks that allow us to go around and do dynamic handling. We have funny road surfaces, special surfaces track that allow us to analyze suspension on cobbled roads or or check for grip on a skid pan. So it's 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 like um yeah it's it's essentially just like a big play park for engineers <laughs> with all sorts of tools <laughs> and bits of kit. Is there anything that you can sort of tell a child who's listening potentially or even a parent of a child who wants to introduce their child to engineering how they should start going about it. Oh, curiosity is absolutely important. I've recently uh, done some of this marking for uh, the Leaders Award. And what's incredible about the entries is how unadulterated the ideas are. You know, there's none of this, there's none of these boring restrictions like it's physically impossible to build or totally commercially unviable. You just have these wonderfully <laughs> pure ideas and and I think that's that's one thing that I would that I would encourage is is to support your children through the ideas that they have and and don't be too quick to put down ideas through you know 
for, for, for silly things like being physically impossible to build. You know, that, that's not important. We're going through a very interesting time in our industry of really quite severe change. And, you know, our company's been around for, I think it was 111 or 118 years the other day. And very rarely have we gone through a shift like this where we're transitioning from old school, as it were, car building to becoming a mobility and sort of connected vehicle service provider. And what that requires is people to come into the industry with crazy and wacky ideas. That's what we need. We need people to disrupt us. You know, we need people to disrupt the industry and say, hang on a minute. I know we've been doing this for 100 years, but what if we did it like this, you know? And have you um, had any good questions from children? Because I know that a lot of the engineers who've taken part in the conversations around Leaders Award and if you were engineer competition have been asked questions from children. Have you got any favourites? <laughs> Absolutely. I um, Children don't ask you the questions you're normally asked. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and you're never, you can't prepare for the questions. One of the ones that I loved, I think I was at... Um, it was either on this course or I was I was I went to a, a school to talk to men engineering. And one of the children said, What was the last thing you invented? And I thought that was such a wonderful question because as an engineer, we're 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 a small cog in a big machine. You know, uh, uh, what I'm doing in terms of onboard development, onboard diagnostic development, is making sure that the the actuators and the sensors are doing what they should be doing. There's thousands of other engineers making sure that it drives the way it should, the suspension is the way it should, it looks the way it should. So when a, when, when a child asks you, what's the last thing you invented? It sort of really hits you to the core of, you know, actually, let's stand still a moment and think about something that I've done. And <clears throat> fortunately, I was able to answer with a silly project um, that I had done at home where I had uh, 3D printed a little phone holder for my car. <laughs> but but it, it did get me to stop and think, I think, you know, am I dedicating enough time at home to sort of feed that desire of mine to build and create something from scratch and something new and something all on my own? And, and there are a few different things where I'm doing that, but it got me to sort of reassess that that day and say, actually, I need to be allocating a bit more time to this because that's, that's what I love doing. Well, Oliver Joris, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hi, Susan Skerlock here, founder and CEO of Primary Engineer. I just wanted to jump in and tell you a little bit more about what we do. Primary Engineer aims to bring engineering and creative problem solving into classrooms to shine a spotlight on engineering skills, the range of industries engineers can work in, and to get children, teachers and parents excited about the profession. Throughout these episodes, you'll be hearing from amazing people involved in our If You Were an Engineer, What Would You Do? Leaders Award competition. It's an annual event and we would love for you to get involved. Whether you're a school whose children are brimming with incredible ideas or you're an engineer who wants to inspire a younger generation with your passion for the profession, register over at leadersaward.com forward slash podcast. It's all about engineers inspiring children, inspiring engineers. Oh, and if this episode has inspired you to come up with your own idea, tell us all about it on Twitter at Leaders Award and we might share it in a future episode. Next up, we have Dr. Malcolm Klaus and Sean Wogan who have worked on a huge number of prototypes and they just wanted to highlight a few of their favourites and we're starting with Savannah's Extending Sync 6000. 
To be honest though, it was kind of hard to get them to uh, stop talking about biscuits. My favourite biscuits are uh, custard creams. What are yours? Man? Well, I, I do like a good uh, malted milk with a cup of tea during a project meeting. It, the, one of the key technical so, decisions... Yeah, anyway, uh, no more biscuits. Uh, stop thinking about food. We have the Extending Sink 6000 to talk about. Sink was designed for someone with uh, uh, disabilities who couldn't reach a normal sink. So the idea behind the sink is actually that it will, will scan you and, and raise and lower that sink for your height. So it's more custom for you to use. We made the uh, sink up and down using a thing called an actuator. Uh, and we initially bought uh, a cheap actuator to see whether it would work, which is kind of called proof of concept. But because it was quite poor and quite cheap, it was absolutely dreadful. I mean, it it would have taken about 10 to 20 minutes for the sink to get to any height. So once all the technicians and the students had stopped laughing, we kind of proved that it did work. But we then went back to the drawing board and found one that was about 50 times faster. Mm. Uh, we did it in orange because we had lots of orange material. And again, we had lots of instances of getting water absolutely everywhere because um, the flexible pipes on the back would pop off and pour, oh, yeah, pour, I remember water, that. Yeah. pour water all over the place. So, uh, yeah, so then we built a structure uh, that was going to go in the van so that we could then take it to show uh, people our, mm -hmm. our amazing sink. Um, unfortunately, we made it so that it did go in the van, but it was almost impossible to get out of the building, which was <laughs> slightly awkward. So the other... Uh aspect of it is the sink had to be mobile so to make it mobile uh it was uh, attached or was put on a frame that had wheels but also in order to to move it up and down uh it needs its own power so what was there there was uh some more electronic systems and things like that to try and uh produce the power it was also needs its own water tanks on board as well so to, to obviously operate it and overall, the, the process worked out quite, came together really well, didn't it? It mm, uh, yeah, is a really, really good uh, piece of equipment and uh, really credit to Savannah who, who, who came up with that idea. She, Savannah came into the university uh, with her parents and absolutely loved the orange sink. So we were all really, really pleased with that because um, she said she doesn't like white sinks. So we were all very, very relieved yes. that we'd printed it in orange. So that was the Extending Sync 6000. Next up, the Bike Sucker by Maisie Crook. If you imagine uh, living somewhere where you don't have regular water supply uh, and you have to walk a long distance carrying you know, containers full of water, it can get really tiring. Maisie came up with an idea of uh, trying to use, uh, or how, how could she transport water? How could somebody transport water uh, effectively and efficiently and also be able to pump it and then she came up with the idea of the bike sucker so the bike sucker is really in in essence a bicycle that's got a pump on board and uh positions for you to to yeah, put your absolutely. water containers yeah so you could cycle to the well to the river you put the bike up on its um a stand. on a stand and you pump water using the bicycle uh rather than kind of doing it by hand into the containers, as, as Malcolm says, that are on board. And then you, you pack everything away and off you cycle. So that was quite, that was quite good fun to make because obviously um, we had to look at which pumps we could use. 
So we tried all manner of different pumps, like peristaltic pumps and rotary pumps and things like that. But funny enough, um, we found uh, an old pump in the workshop, uh, just an old foot pump with like a leather cup washer inside it. And that worked better than all of them. So they, they, they took it outside with a bucket of water and pumped it by uh, by foot, as it were, and drew up five metres of water, much to the merriment of everyone and the excitement of seeing <laughs> the actually pump water. So that was great. And then once they kind of said, right, that, that will work, the, the student then did loads of CAD drawings and we did lots of machining. Um, we did milling and turning and welding onto the bike frame. And they made this the frame so what you do is you push the bike up onto its frame and if you if you cycle normally as if you're going mm. to the shops the bike acts like a normal bike and if you cycle backwards it's got a one-way clutch built into the gear chain that means that the wheel doesn't turn but it in turn turns the pump so that means that when you cycle backwards which is quite tricky sometimes it would then pump uh, up into this foot pump type thing that was welded onto the frame yeah. Um, so, process uh, for that was similar to to what we said about the sink with meetings and biscuits. you know biscuits, more biscuits. <laughs> so I guess in a way, a bicycle was very handy to have. Yeah, could go and get you, the biscuits. Yeah, to get the biscuits, but also to uh, to use after you've eaten them to try and work work, off the work some of them off. Yeah, you didn't seriously think we were finished with the biscuit talk, did you? Anyway, another way of um, working off a diet rich in biscuits is by using the trampoline phone charger. So not only are you getting fun physical activity, but you're also doing something, I guess, for the environment Absolutely. by not by not using so. electricity from from the, uh, the the mains. You're generating your own electricity every time you you jump up and down. Mm. Essentially, you know you get in there you would jump up and down the pad if for the the trampoline would be filled with uh, sensors that will then register you moving up and down and convert that into a electrical charge signal, signal. Charge, yeah yeah so it had like a webbing strap underneath a normal trampoline on each of the legs we manufactured stepper motors but they used them to uh, create a charge rather than or generate a charge uh, so as the as the person jumped up, it gave a little bit of a current on the way up and the way back, and because there were six legs, that meant that there were six units creating this electricity. That then went into uh, a box, and uh, that then uh, went into a bank of capacitors, and then uh, our electronics technicians and the students managed to make a way for the capacitors and the electricity to. Uh, then be charged used to charge the phones mm. and it was great we, we took it to several places and again that competitive edge of uh of <laughs> who seeing can, who can jump the highest was quite impressive who can jump the highest and who can charge who can charge their phone in the, the shortest fastest. amount of time yeah i mean i've never seen people go that high <laughs> on a trampoline and then there's the truggy the truggy is a buggy and a suitcase combined mm. uh so the the idea behind this was that their mum and dad were struggling pushing a buggy yeah. and uh, and the, the young lady thought, mm. why don't, it's obvious, why don't we combine that? And uh, so that's what we did. We we, we made a, a suitcase up out of aluminium and we bought a buggy and we combined the two. Uh, so they both kind of, it folds in 
on itself so you can wheel it around just as the suitcase or you uh, slide some kind of joints open and the buggy opens up and it becomes uh, a buggy. And again, it's, it's lovely. It's great fun. Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny how even that sort of notion and when people actually see it, they, they always seem want to be want to be pushed around in it. It's uh, and it is designed for children. Yes. So we have had to, you know, restrain restrain some some adults, some parents, and things like that when they when they've seen it demonstrated. So we've got the Truggy, the Bike Sucker, the Trampoline Phone Charger, and the Extending Sync 6000. That is what it's all about. Thanks to Malcolm and Sean there, and also thanks to Ollie, Joris, and also Katie from earlier. And of course, thanks to you for listening. I'm your host, Ollie Giu. If You Were an Engineer is a Primary Engineer production. Stay tuned for episode four, which is out next week. And in the meantime, please like and review us on Apple Podcasts. Get in touch on Twitter at Leaders Award, and head over to our website, leadersaward.com slash podcast to access loads of bonus and behind the scenes content.